And he offers them some parting words of hope and encouragement and answers question after questions concerning the fact that he's about to leave them. In some ways, it's really an impossible task for him because they can't comprehend what's happening. Perhaps they can't even hear what he's saying through their own fear and confusion. And so, when he has said all that they can bear, he promised them that the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will come to remind them of all that he said and lead them into all truth. And he begins to pray. Jesus, knowing he's getting ready to be arrested, prays. And it's a, a lingering, unhurried prayer. And he's done at the same precise time that the soldiers are in route plotting his ambush. And I believe, I don't know about you, but I would consider it a lot of other activities rather than prayer, such as getting the heck out of Dodge, or in his case, getting the heck out of Jerusalem, or in the least, you know, looking for a place that I might hide. But Jesus begins to pray. He's not instructing. He's not preaching. He's not teaching. Jesus is praying. He turns from offering information to the disciples and he begins to make intercession for them. He prays for them. Now, I don't know how you feel when someone prays out loud for you. I'm just asking you, do any of these words come to mind? Comforted, awkward, vulnerable, grateful, humbled, honored? Well, I thought about this point asking you all to turn to one another and pray for one another. But then on second thought, I considered that might be a little challenging and beyond the comfort level of some of you who are not accustomed to praying for others out loud. But let me say, if you have ever had someone pray for you, I'm not talking in general, but really just for you, it's a powerful moment. Jesus was, he was concerned about so many things that night. Would he let his father down? Would he let the world down? Was there not another way? Who would take care of his mother after he's gone? Well, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus prays before he's arrested, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays alone. Even his most trusted disciples, they're some distance from him and they're not listening and they're not praying. They're not keeping watch. They're falling asleep. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus lifts up this tear and sweat-stained prayer to God the night before he was crucified. Father, he begged, for you all things are possible. Take this cup of suffering from me. However, not what I want, but you want. In the Gospel of John, the scene, it's very, very, very different. Jesus and his disciples, they haven't traveled to the Garden of Gethsemane where they'll be met by Judas, where he'll be betrayed. In John, when Jesus prays, the disciples, they're right there. They're within earshot. When Jesus turns and begins to make intercession for them. 
Now, I think we often think of praying to Jesus. And we're comfortable with the idea of praying in Jesus' name to the Father. How often do we think of Jesus praying for us? Here He does. Each week we pray the Lord's Prayer. It's called that because it's the prayer model Jesus used to teach His disciples to pray. But in that sense, it really would be more appropriately named the Disciples' Prayer. If you think about it, it's this prayer of Jesus called the High Priestly Prayer, which really should probably be called the Lord's Prayer because it's a prayer that Jesus prayed. And He prays this beautiful chapter-long prayer. And what it does, it resembles the surface of a pond when a a stone is thrown in the middle. And we get to listen. First, Jesus prays for Himself. And that's the first ring from the splash of the rock. He knows what's about to happen, so He says, So now, Father, glorify Me in Your own presence with the glory that I had in Your presence before the world existed. That's John 17, 5. And then Jesus prays for the twelve men who have been His companions in ministry asking that God might protect them and keep them strong in the face of adversity. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. That's John 17, 15. And that's the second prayer ring on the surface of the pond. And then, Jesus prays for another surprising group. I ask not only on behalf of these disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their words. Now there was a whole lot to be praying for that night, and I'm sure there's many things he prayed to the Father about that aren't even recorded. But with so many things rightly on his heart and mind, Jesus took the time to pray for us. He made you. And He made me a priority. I mean, we often pray for dying people, but how often have you ever had someone about to die pray for you? When a dying person makes you their priority, that's a gift you can treasure. Jesus is praying for us. That's the third ring of the pond. 2,000 years ago, understandably focused on his impending suffering and death. Soldiers waiting in the garden hedges. Jesus peeks into the future. And with this prayers, he sees disciples like us. Jesus is praying for all people of every time and place who will come to believe in him through the testimony of his disciples. And that includes us. And right there, I mean, just in a heartbeat, the distance between the stories in the Bible and our own stories, that distance just, it collapses because suddenly what's going on in the biblical story, it isn't way back there. It's right here now. Jesus prays for us, for our ups and downs, our hopes, our disappointments, our yearnings for meaning 
our need for purpose. Jesus, he's kneeling, he's pouring out his heart to God and suddenly he stops and he says, Father, I do not pray for Peter and James and John and Andrew and Bartholomew only, but I also pray for Macklin and for Gary and for Ben and for Melinda and for David and for Jordan and for Nan and for Kevin and for Chuck. I mean, isn't that incredible? that Jesus would be able to squint into the future with his prayers and remember us long before we were even a gleam in our parents' eyes, long before our great, 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 great grandparents ever went to Sunday school. I ask not only on behalf of these, but on behalf of those who will believe. So on the night before Jesus died, he made it a point pray for me and to pray for you and to pray for each and every disciple who came before us and who will arise after us. This is the high priestly prayer and it's complex. In fact, we can forget sometimes even that it's a prayer because in some ways it sounds more like a commandment. You know, I want you to be one or more like teaching. It's time about his relationship with the Father. Or even more promises that one day we're going to be with Jesus and we're going to share in his glory. But really at the heart of it, it's none of those things. It's a prayer. It's a prayer of one person praying for others, others whom he loves. You and I, we're the latest threads being woven into this long, long tapestry that's the church. Our faith ties us to the lives and the words of those very first disciples. See, we're now in church because somebody told us about Jesus. Whether it was a parent, or whether it was a godparent, or a friend, or, or a priest, whoever. Someone told us the good news about Jesus, and we came to believe. But here's the thing. Someone told the person who told us. And someone told that person. And someone told that person as well. And on and on and on and on. All the way back to the testimony of those disciples. Who in despite of their fear, both that evening and on Easter morning, nevertheless, they moved out of closed rooms in the promise of the resurrection. And they began to share the good news of Jesus with others. Now, it'd be really easy for us to turn this high priestly prayer into a to-do list. I mean, a to-do list, that's a whole lot easier to manage than an experience as intimate as being the subject of another person's prayer. We're so obviously not in control when other people pray for us because they, not we, are the ones doing the asking. And God, not we, is the one answering the prayer. But today, we are privileged to overhear a prayer on our behalf. And we're not called to action. We are more called to wonder that the Father and the Son would spend time together discussing the likes of us and our faith community. 
In Hebrews chapter 7, the author writes about Jesus' priestly role now that he's risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. The author writes, Furthermore, the former priests were many in number because they were pre prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. So simply put, Jesus is our high priest. His role as high priest is eternal. He intercedes for us. He prays to God on our behalf continually. In Romans 8.34, the Apostle Paul, he says much the same thing. He writes, who's to condemn it's Christ Jesus who died, yea, who is risen, who is raised at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Jesus prays for us continually. He intercedes with us for us forever. And he began that ministry of prayer and intercession right here in the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. Jesus knew the soldiers were coming for him. And yet, very calmly, he prayed. That same calm, that same peace that Jesus had, it's available to every one of us. I want to ask you how your prayer life might change if you sat quietly each day knowing that you're not only praying to this man of peace, but begin to understand that Jesus has already been praying for you all this time. What might such a spiritual consciousness mean for a young person, for example, who's fearful of the future, worried about what he's supposed to do his or her life. What might such a spiritual awareness mean for a couple whose marriage is in trouble? For older people who face illness and uncertainty about what the coming year is going to bring? Well, for many of us who wonder from time to time, What's Jesus up to in the world? He said, I do not ask only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe. What's Jesus up to? Jesus is praying for us. For His disciples, once removed, a thousand times removed. And it's really wonderfully liberating to know Jesus is still at it. So I want you to hear the words of Jesus as if they were addressed to you this morning. And to imagine that Jesus has been praying for you all these years and He continues to pray for you and care for you and love you and value you today. Why does Jesus pray for His disciples and those who will believe through Him? Well, a person's last words and wishes indicate his or her desire to communicate a desired future a future they're not going to see and cannot control. When we leave this world for the next, we, we leave behind those who will carry on after us. And we express our desires and our values through our last will and testament. This morning, what we do is we hear Jesus' last will and testament. 
Jesus prays for his disciples. And he prays for the mission that they will assume when he leaves them. Jesus prays for those who believe through their witness. Jesus prays for you and for me. Why does Jesus pray for us? And I think an old sermon illustration gets the point across. Jesus has just ascended back to heaven from earth. And he saw the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel said, Jesus, it's so good to see you back in heaven. How did it go on earth? And Jesus replied, Gabriel, it was awesome. The Father, He allowed me to do some incredible things while I was there. I cast out demons. I healed the sick. I calmed the storm. I made the lame to walk, the blind to see. I was crucified on the cross, but rose again on the third day to show God's resurrection power. Wow, that's unbelievable, says Gabriel. But I just have one question. Now that you're gone, is all that good stuff going to go away? Is it going to come to an end? Oh no, said Jesus. You see, Gabriel, while I was there, I had this plan to entrust my teachings to 12 guys who will teach others. And my plan is for them to keep it going. Well, with a puzzled look on his face, Gabriel said, but Jesus... What if it doesn't work? What if they don't do it? What's your backup plan? Then Jesus looked at Gabriel and he said, Gabriel, I have no other plan. And now unto God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all just to ascribe might, dominion, power, and majesty, world without end. Amen.